Well, well, well. Another week, another episode of the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooper Writer, and welcome, welcome, welcome. As always, if you're catching this on a replay, video replay or something like that, if you're on YouTube or Facebook, you can catch this in podcast form. It is available Tuesday mornings on all major podcast platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher as such. So you can take this on the go and listen to it. You don't have to be tied to your computer if you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube. Just search Andrew Cooper Writer in your search bar. And of course, as always, please uh, uh, like, comment, share. Please share uh, to support us. Also, if you want to stay up to date uh, with everything going on, um, go ahead, text Liberty. Text the word Liberty to 33777. Once again, that's text the word, text the word Liberty to 33777. We have some great topics for us today. So please make sure you're, once again, you're like, comment, sharing. What topics do we have? Well, uh, Jesmond County Republican Party centers Mitch McConnell. We've got two bills, first draft bills filed for the legislative session for 2022. Kentucky's Commission on Race hears from the Chamber, Kentucky Chamber of Commerce, about how race is the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce is. No, I'm not making that up. They made an actual presentation to the government that talks about how racist they are, and they don't even realize it. Um, <laughs> also, as well, uh, JCPS, Jefferson County Public Schools, brings back forced masking for the kids, and we will talk about that as well. So please, once again, give this the like, give it a comment, share, tell your friends about us and everything else, and let's dig into today's show. So Jesmond County censures Mitch McConnell. First, what is a censure? Uh, a censure is a public proclamation of condemnation. So um, basically stating here that the Jesmond County Republican Party believes, and it, it was all over the Mitch McConnell uh, uh, bipartisan gun control legislation enhancing red flag gun laws. The Jesmond County Party, uh, correctly in my summation, has jumped to the belief, or, or correctly has come to the belief that red flag gun laws are unconstitutional. And I intend to agree with them. I've talked about this in prior podcasts, but red flag gun laws provide no true recourse of action. It's not criminal. It's not civil. What category does it fall into? You're not uh, being accused of a crime. Instead, they take it away. Then you have to defend your right without, you know, you're, you're presumed guilty before Anderson because they take it away. Too much is dependent upon the judge. And so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of questions, a lot of concerns about red flag gun laws, and they certainly lead to unconstitutional things. Let us not forget, this is the same government that wanted to arrest you for going to uh, school board meetings and voicing your opinion, calling you domestic terrorists. And we want to give them the ability without due process to take away people's constitutional rights. I see an issue with it. It seems anti-conservative, seems anti-Republican. Mitch McConnell supported it, pushed it forward, and he's receiving a center from the Jesmond County for his troubles. And so what this says is that, one, they're publicly saying we disagree with what he did. Two, they asked for his resignation 
as I read it, and 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 I could be wrong, so someone from Jesmond County can let me know. But as I read it and understood it, that Mitch McConnell, they're asking for Mitch McConnell to step down as uh, leader of the Republican caucus in the Senate, not necessarily step down as senator, but step down as leader of the caucus because he, of course, uh, pushed forward this legislation. They correctly point out he's the only elected member to federal government from Kentucky to have supported this legislation. Rand in it, and neither did any of our Congress people. Also as well, they say that the party will cease to support him in any future endeavors. And that really opens up a whole other debate. And I think this is really, really key. And this is where there's a, a, a slight, I guess you call it old guard, new guard kind of debate going on um, between the parties, parties and within the party. And what I mean by that is what, what is the point of the Republican Party? So in this censure went in some of the more... I guess you'd call them party men or what have you. Uh, quit. There's three resignations of the Jesmond County Party. Um, one of them was the attorney for the Senate Republican Caucus Campaign Committee, and the other two married couple, just longtime Republicans um, that that really believe that no Republican should ever speak ill of another Republican. And if you're in the party, you hear this all the time. You hear Rand Paul's 11th commandment that never speak ill of another Republican. It, and it really opens up a debate on what is the point of the Republican Party itself. So the point of being a Republican, when you go down and you register as a Republican, is to say that you identify with the Republican Party platform, you believe in its values, and you are a member of that party, you want to forward that belief. Being active in the party itself. So, so that's registering as a Republican. So we're not asking what's the point of doing that. I'm saying, what is the actual point of your local party? Is it to just get Republicans elected? And what does that mean? Does it mean we're electing people who forward and, and believe in and exemplify Republican values and the Republican Party platform, including protecting the, protecting the Second Amendment, to which I don't think it's necessarily super debatable that the red flag gun laws obviously go against the Constitution, because why is it that Mitch McConnell's the only person who voted for it out of all the Republicans in Kentucky at the federal level? Everybody else voted against it if that wasn't the case. So, so is it the party's point? Is the party in existence to ensure that good Republicans get elected? Not just Republicans get elected, but is the point of the party to forward the Republican Party platform? Or is the point of the party to just elect Republicans? Because follow me here, there's a big difference. See, if you think the party's only, party itself's only point is to forward uh, to get just Republicans elected. What that means is, is you're saying it doesn't matter what their beliefs, what their principles are or anything else. All that matters is they have an R next to their name, which then begs the question of, if you think that's the point, it does beg the question of, well, why does it matter? So you're just team R instead of team D. Does team R stand for anything? Does it mean you stand up for anything? Does it mean that you believe in the right to life, protecting the second amendment? Does it mean you believe in conservative values, Judeo-Christian values? Does it, does it mean that? Or does it simply mean you somehow have ended up in team Republican? Because if it's just about getting people elected with an R next to their name, what the Jesmond County party did was incorrect. 
And there are a few people, obviously the ones that resigned from the party, that believe that. They believe that the entire part of the Republican Party is to push forward people with an R next to their name, no matter what they believe in, no matter what they stand for. And then there's people who believe that the point of your local party is to forward the platform. Because it doesn't matter if you win an election if you're not forwarding the Republican Party platform. And then once we've answered that question, so I think that's the first debate you have to have. What is the point of your local party? The party itself. That anybody that gets into a general with an R next to the name, we have to support as the party. And if that's what you're saying as a party and what's that support look like, then that's what you're saying. Then I would say that centering of Mitch McConnell from the Jesmond County party was an incorrect and proper thing to do because it doesn't matter what they believe in. It just matters what initials next to their name. If, however, you believe your local party is supposed to be forwarding the Republican party platform specifically, that's what you think it's supposed to do. And a component of that is getting Republicans elected obviously. But another part of that is making sure you're electing the correct Republicans that are going to forward your platform. If that's the case, then what Desmond County did would seem certainly more proper. Because the question is, is what is the point once again? So if it's about forwarding the Republican Party platform that believes in protecting the Second Amendment, then Mitch McConnell should have been censured. And it should come out and say this isn't a Republican Party belief. And what he did was outside the purview of his registration as an R. Because remember, that's all it is. There's no adjudicator that says whether you're Republican, Democrat, or Independent. You just went down and filed the correct paperwork at the office. <laughs> that's it. And so if, if, if I think that kind of covers the difference here of opinion. And there are people, like I said, the three people that quit believe if there's an R next to their name, I had to support them no matter what they believe in. And they even believe that in primaries, we have to support the incumbent. A lot of people believe that, that believe that same way. If we're in a primary, we have to support the incumbent because they're in office. And if we support anybody else in a primary, it's going to drive the party apart. It, it almost seems like a thought process those in power use to stay in power. Basically, come in, do our bidding, uh, go knock doors for us, go do everything we want you to do, go fundraise to us, give us money, but you don't get a voice. That's the way it kind of comes across when you're saying you are literally not allowed to express any discontent with any Republicans at all if you're part of the local party. I don't think that's accurate. I think, I think generally people believe that it's about forwarding the Republican Party platform. I certainly do. And, you know, while I wasn't in the room for the discussion on this specific center, what I can say is that I do think it is, I don't, is, is, is when it comes to the question of, of what is the point of the Republican Party, um, I do, I definitely think there is a place for what we were talking about there. So there you go. A little bit of news there on Mitch McConnell being censured by Jesmond County Party. Uh, we have two bills filed already for the session here coming up in 2023, one by Jeffrey Donahue. Um, Jeffrey Donahue here, and that is draft bill request 21. It's a constitutional amendment also called the Homestead Act. I will describe it to you uh, here. One thing to note about Jeffrey Donahue, he's state house rep 37. He is in a general uh, election against Emily Calloway. Um, that 37 was recently redrawn to certainly be more friendly to Republicans. 
Um, so it, this definitely seems like a slightly conservative piece of legislation. However, he, for being a Democrat, it's very conservative. However, um, I think a true conservative would take it even farther. And I think that's where a breakdown and you don't understand the philosophy here. So <laughs> what does the Homestead Act, what does uh, a draft bill request 21 do? Well, you can see in its summary, it says proposed to amend section 170, section 170 of the Constitution of Kentucky to include in the homestead exemption for owners who are 65 years of age or older uh, from any increase in valuation of property taxes assessed after the later date of the year over the owner turned 65 or the year the owner purchased. So basically what it's saying is this, is if you're 65 or older, um, once your property gets a valued at 65, it never goes up in value. You will pay your property tax on <coughs> the home value at 65. Or if you buy or sell your home after, after you turn 65 and, and you buy a new home, the property tax will be assessed based upon uh, the year you purchased the home. Sounds great. Don't get me wrong. It's a step in the right direction, right? But <clears throat> it fails. He, it, it's weird. So you're recognizing that property tax reevaluating is crushing to homeowners, especially retired ones. You're even recognizing the fact that it per, it creates a financial burden on homeowners to constantly reevaluate tax. You're almost even acknowledging that coming out and valuing somebody's property based upon pure speculation is wrong and immoral. And what I mean by that is this, is that when a person buys or sells their home, the market is speaking of what the value of the home is. When the property values come, property evaluators come out, they're making a guess based upon current market conditions. I'll give you Perfect example, over the last year or so, we've seen property valuations going up massively, creating higher property taxes. But now, but now, as you have rising mortgage interest rates, the, the market pressure is lower, property prices will drop. Do you think people's tax bills, property valuation costs, will be dropped down? Most likely not. Most likely not. And so the point is, is that this reevaluating uh, of, of property value based on pure market speculation, I don't think is the role of government. I don't, I don't think government should be speculating on what the value of your home is. That is them saying, look, I'm going to guess what the open market believes your home's worth. The market hasn't spoken. And there's even legal law behind this that says some, some cases where individuals who, who recently bought or sold their property were then charged a property tax for more than they bought or sold it for. And they're like, look, that's not what the property's worth. If it was worth that, that's how much I would have gotten for it or paid for it or, or, or sold it for. And they've had to go back and retrace down what their property values are. But you shouldn't have to just sell your home for a lower price to say this is what the market said the home was worth. So I, I, I certainly think I certainly think he's he's getting to a point, but he's failing. His point is he's he's making half a point. He's meeting us halfway, I guess, right? He's he's acknowledging that this continuing increase of property tax is immoral. Property tax is immoral and 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 creates a financial burden. It's, that's why he's reducing it for elderly, but not taking it further and just expand that out to everybody. 
why not say, look, you know, until it, it, when you buy and sell your home, that's the amount your property tax will be valued on. And until you buy your sell home, you're again, where, where the market can, can make a decision, can make its point about what your home's worth until that, um, happens. Well, we can't up your property tax. And he's, like I said, he's taking half a leap without making a full leap. And he's literally, I think, only proposing this because you, he's in this, this election against Emily Calloway. And he's trying to appear more conservative, more even keel. But I think if anything, he betrays that he's acknowledging the moral issues with property tax and the way we do it now without going far enough to actually take care of it. Now, remember, this would be a constitutional amendment. So if this does pass or goes forward, it would then go into a ballot for us all to vote on. I'm sure it passes on a vote. But point is, is that it, it does halfway. But also at the same time, we don't provide tools of our county. That's when the, the counties only get like 5% though of their revenue from property tax. So it's, it's, for those that are like, well, what about the counties? It's not going to hurt a lot. Now, the schools, on the other hand, they're going to have a big issue with this. It's 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 nice. It's interesting to see a Democrat do that because schools will have a big issue with it because it will affect their ability to fund themselves because, of course, they're, one of their number one funding sources is property tax. So be interested to see how that plays out and how that goes. Interesting to watch that House District 37 race. We do have another piece of legislation that has been Proposed draft bill request 39 by Kim Banta. Um, this would allow, create a new section of Kentucky revised statute chapter 532 to define qualifying offense and also allow lifetime orders of protection for victims of qualifying offense. So basically what this states is, is that let's say you're, you're, you're the victim of a domestic abuse of some sort and you go and you get a restraining order. Right now you have to renew those. This would allow lifetime uh, restraining orders. And, and I think, generally speaking, this sounds great. And I think it is a fine piece of legislation on its surface, but it does slightly determine the revisiting aspect of, of these these. Uh, restraining orders, though, understand this. I think everybody, everybody agrees that if some guy was beaten on his wife and and he shouldn't, there should be a restraining order in place to protect that woman from after he served his time, being able to come out, come around her, see her, things like that. I think that's that's very reasonable. I think all of us agree. None of us have an issue with that. None of us even have an issue with the lifetime restraining order in that situation. What I think we have to worry about or be concerned about is watch for the abuse. So it's going to be interesting to see what this bill actually comes out as, as far as redefining what is a qualifying uh, offense and as such. Because I know people, I'll give an example. I know somebody who um, he was a divorce. I think he was getting a divorce. He's getting a divorce. Kids. It was a custody hearing around kids. I know that. It was a custody hearing around kids. And the, and the gentleman in question, he, uh, was an MMA fighter, pro, not pro, not pro, but amateur MMA fighter. So he'd, you know, as a hobby of his, he'd go to an MMA gym and he'd fight in the octagon some weekends, you know, nothing, nothing too huge. Um, never had any convictions of assault, anything, domestic violence, anything like that. Generally speaking, people who, who do 
get involved in the combat sports actually aren't that violent of individuals. Um, and so he, he did not have any kind of history for this, but during the course of a civil hearing around custody, because we all know how this gets, there was a protection order issued to a restraining order issued because she somehow convinced a judge to issue it despite him never and her never being in the hospital, him never having any history of violence or anything like that. But because of that, they issued it. And so, you know, obviously in that situation now, now you're like, well, it's just a restraining order. Well, hold on though. That's also his kids. But also at the same time, if you live in a small town and the, the person who has a restraining order is works at the grocery store. It's like, you can't go to the grocery store now in your town. That could be a real uh, detriment to your ability to operate. Now, obviously if you're a woman beater, I don't care. I have a detriment to operate, move out of town, move out of state. Let's get rid of you. You're a piece of trash, right? We all agree with that, but we've seen abuses of things like this. So it'll be interesting to see how it's worded to watch for that. And that also goes into why our judges elections are so important because so much of our law is based upon what the opinion of some judge is. And I think you need to be a lot more careful about who you're electing at judge because of that. So I think that's also Kim Banta's laws. Interesting. Um, I think it's worth debating. I think it's worth looking at what they call qualifying expense exactly in the final format. Cause remember, this is just a draft bill and also looking at, you know, what, what's the process for overturning a permanent injunction where, um, is, is there a chance to do that or what have you? I don't know. Cause it's possible to overturn a restraining order now, but it's very difficult. So, you know, does it make life unworkable? Does it make it to where you can't see your kids ever again? Does it, does it, does it do things in situations where a person has been misaligned by the system? Cause it happens. It happens. We know it happens, right? I'm not saying every, you know, I'm not saying that is generally the case and I'm not defending anybody who's an abuser or anything like that at all. Like I said earlier, they're trash and they, they should, they should go away. But we know that things like this happen, wrongful convictions, wrongful decisions, people lie and that creates issues. So, um, that's that on those bills. Now, here is a interesting point here that the, the Kentucky, Commission on Race. Now, some of you may not be aware that Kentucky Commission on Race exists. It does exist. It is a statutory committee of the legislature. It was formed during the 2020 legislative session, I believe. So Republicans created this Commission on Race. It exists. And they had a presentation recently um, from the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce did. So, so the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce is the state Chamber of Commerce and in practice, you think it would represent business values. It kind of does, um, you, but it doesn't represent small business owners. It represents large corporations because they're the number one people who give them lots and lots of money. And because of that, pretty much everything they propose is all about how do we get more money out of the government to go into industry. And, you know, they, they've recently decided they're going to um, do a, a, they did a presentation about equity in Kentucky. And so let me see here. Let me show you some of these slides here um, to give you some idea of what we're, we're looking at here. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. So first, uh, one of the slides they share is about underrepresented minorities in Kentucky. Now, what does that mean? Underrepresented minority? Because that's, I don't often see that term. And so I said, you know, what does that mean? Well, 
What's an underrepresented minority? Well, that is only people who are Black, Hispanic, or Native American. Let's say that again. It is Black, Hispanic, or Native American. Now, why isn't it Asian minorities? Why aren't Middle Eastern minorities in there? Why aren't, um, you know, your certain European minorities, Jewish minorities? Why aren't all minorities in there? They're all minorities. So they come up with this term underrepresented minority, which you say, okay, what's that mean? It means that their skin color, that's what it's about, skin color, once again, is not being represented properly in the demographics. So they don't want to bring in Asian, Middle Eastern, or any of those because they are not underrepresented in the demographics. They're outshining their demographics. Now, if we talk about that, that really throws a whole... Uh, a problem into the whole gear spinning saying all white people are racist because if all white people are racist, why is it that these other minorities are doing fine? You can't say it's because, well, you know, Jewish minorities, they look white at least. Well, you know, Asian and, and, and Middle Eastern minorities definitely don't look white. So if white people are racist, wouldn't they be doing bad? But no, instead, in order to make this fit, your, in order to make the numbers look worse and in order to make this fit your narrative, you just have to conveniently forget about certain minorities. And in this case, it's minorities that are doing well, better than even white people. We have to forget because we need to make this about race. And if we bring up the fact that minorities other than, uh, or skin colors other than white are doing just fine too, that undermines our entire message that white people are racist. So we've got to lie about it. And we do that by changing up our terms. Of course, we've talked about this before. You know, um, correlation does not mean causation. So just because somebody is black does not mean that they they innately have these situations or problems, okay? What it does is more likely these issues are, are more tied to, and we've talked about this before, geographical locations. Maybe it's historical racism that doesn't exist anymore that caused them to be in this geographical locations. Or maybe it's a cycle of choice making that has been spurred on by the welfare state of Kentucky um, and, and the United States as a whole that's tied to a geographical area. That's why I liked how Trump did it, where he said, we're going to create economic opportunity zones because it recognizes that it doesn't matter what skin color you have. If you're from that zone, you're more likely to have the issues than if you're not from that zone regardless of your skin color. But anyway, so they, they have to use this term underrepresented uh, minority in order to, to make it work for, their, um, for their, their part of it. So then they say, so in Kentucky, underrepresented minorities in Kentucky have a lower medium wage compared to their white counterparts. The medium overall underrepresented minority wage is 36,600 compared to 43,400 for non-underrepresented minority. Underrepresented minorities with a diploma, average salary post-graduation is 29000 I believe they're talking about high school diploma. Well, 33400 for non-underrepresented minority. This goes back into geographic location, right? So it's not a big secret, and for whatever reason it is, it is, that typically in Kentucky, you're going to have an abnormal amount of white people living in rural areas compared to um, you're going to have a, a, a fair amount of... Um, uh, black Kentuckians living in the inner city areas. And there's certain jobs you can get in those rural areas that don't require a college diploma, such as farming, construction, other labor type positions that you don't 
typically see as much in the inner city area where there's not as much economic development going on. And for that reason, for geographical reasons, um, it stands to say that they have different opportunities at higher paying jobs for people with high school diplomas that don't have college degrees. That's very likely a reason to it. But once again, we can solve that by looking, if we're looking at geographically, we can solve that. Uh, why aren't they calling for relocation assistance? To, to, to Historically for America, it's always been about traveling to the work. You know, it's all been about, you, you got to go out to the world and make your opportunities. And yet recently we've stopped that and we don't talk about relocation assistance. Instead, we talk about, well, we got to convince people to build up businesses in an area. And, and the question is, is how do you convince people to do that when you've got a litany of issues, crime and, and, and other issues going on there, crime, utility costs, available labor. It's, 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 it's not a good situation uh, that government has created in a lot of these positions. And, and I get some thoughts that say government's supposed to fix it, but government can't fix it because government's the one that created the problem. And the problem with, and it's because of government, so you can't fix government more government. But anyways, regardless. So they kind of talk about the problem. And then they go on to say, well, what let's, let's dig into this a little bit, right? Um, let's look at our equity, okay? So they say barriers that minority-owned businesses face. So this is why there's not enough minority-owned businesses. And this is why. Barriers from discriminatory behavior, agency and prime contractors employing uh, capability stereotypes, double or higher standards, manipulating a bid process based upon prejudicial factors unrelated to business performance, systematic discrimination against minority business enterprises related to key market based issues, including access to capital. So basically, basically, now anybody who's bid out, this isn't the government they're talking about. This is what gets really, really funny about them making this presentation to the government. The government has um, a very transparent bidding process. It is, it, is, it is open to anybody that reaches the qualifications, the qualifications, qualifications are are simple they're straightforward they're the same for every person and in fact actually you get a little bit of difference uh, deference deference if you're a minority owned or woman owned business you get a little deference so if i put forward a price for one of my companies if i'm contracting for the government and somebody else puts forward a price and they're exactly the same way exact same amount of experience but the other business is owned by a woman or a apparently underrepresented minority um, they will get the contract over me. That is the decision-making process the government currently uses. So keep in mind, when they're talking about these barriers from discriminatory behavior, they're talking about contractors. They're not talking about business. They're talking about private industry. Okay, They're talking about private business. Okay, Double or higher standards. Once again, private business. Manipulating bid process based upon prejudicial factors unrelated to business performance. That's not the government. That's straightforward. Then once again, they're talking about private industry. Okay, this is from the Center for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Systematic discrimination against minority business enterprises related to key market-based issues, including access to capital. Who provides capital? Does government provide capital or do banks provide capital? Well, it turns out banks provide capital. Now, when we look at who supports the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce, we find PNC, West Banco, U.S. Bank, Fifth Third Chase, you name a bank, they're contributor to the chamber, most likely, even local banks. 
And so the chamber is doing this presentation to the government about how racist their members are. They're not talking about the government being racist. They're talking about private industry being racist. The private industry they represent, why are they making this presentation to the government? It is you. You're saying you're the problem. So why aren't you fixing it? Why are you, as the chamber, turning to the government? If, if you're making, follow me, okay? Hopefully everybody's following me here. The chamber's comprised of private business entities. And they're creating a presentation on how private business entities are racist to the government. Instead of if they are all really racist. So they're, 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 they're saying they're racist instead of just saying we're racist and we should do something about it. Instead of doing that, <laughs> they're saying, let's go to the government and talk about this issue. Now, why? Well, because. See, if it really is that they're racist, they can deal with that problem themselves internally. But that's not what the chamber wants. See, the chamber, much like other liberal organizations, which it is, uh, the joke is we call it the Kentucky Chamber of Communism. What they want is to take more of your money and redistribute it out. Take more tax dollars and pump it into the private entities, private business owners. They don't actually care what skin color are because I don't think they're actually racist at all. I don't even think they're, they're, they're racist towards, some people would say, well, this anti-racism stuff is racist towards white people. I don't think they believe it. I don't think they believe anything they're saying. They're just looking for another excuse to spend more of your tax dollars for their private corporations. Let me show you. What are their solutions? So the solutions from the chamber, so solutions from the center of D-E-N-I, diversity, equity, inclusion. There's those communistic words again. Equity. It's powered by the Kentucky Chamber Foundation, which is the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce. You see that down there in the corner there. That, that, that DEI, the Center for DEI is a part of the Kentucky Chamber. So they want a minority-owned business database. So they want the government to take your tax dollars and spend it on a minority-owned business database. The Kentucky Chamber has their own directory of businesses in Kentucky. Why don't they create it themselves? Why do they need more of your tax dollars? If they're the racist ones and that's what they're trying to solve, why don't they pay for it themselves? Because in their own directory, they have a directory. Why not add on a minority-owned business directory? Why are you going to private industry? Well, because you, or, or to, to government, because you want us to pay for it. You want us to believe you're racist and you want us to pay to fix your racism. To you, who are we giving the money to? Who's the money going to end up with? Oh, you. It's the greatest con around. They need a potential need for a disparity study in Kentucky. They don't want to expend their own dollars doing a disparity study. They want your tax dollars to pay for it. They want the government, keep in mind, guys, now as you're looking at this, you're saying, well, they're not saying they want the government to necessarily do this. Guys, they're making this presentation to the government. To the government. This isn't them making an internal presentation. They're asking people right there in that room at the time they're making this presentation, your tax dollars are paying for those, that room and those people to be in there. 
And now they're saying they want more of your tax dollars. They want to create a standardized DE and I training workshop for employers. Well, geez, I wonder at the chamber. Okay, so standardized diversity, equity, and inclusion training workshops. Who's going to create the standardization? The government? Is it going to become a government requirement to do that? Who's going to teach it? Will the Center for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, DE&I, the Center for DE&I, teach the standardized DE&I training workshop for employers? Hmm. Hmm. What else here? We got the Minority Business Accelerator and Ignite Program. So for those who don't know, a business accelerator is when a business is starting out brand new. Ignite programs are a new business and you get help get them funding and you guide them, you provide mentorship. So they want to pick businesses, specifically businesses, to be in this accelerator, help them get them funding and everything else based solely upon the skin color of the owner, not based upon the viability of the business, the need of the business or anything else, but just the skin color. Racist. It's racist. That's racist. Who cares what the skin color is? What we care about is, is it a good business? Business Is it going to provide good paying jobs? Is it going to help everybody else out? We do care that the business isn't racist. But why are we so obsessed with what the color is of the person who owns it? Who cares? Who cares? Is money from, from, from a minority business generated by a minority business somehow more valuable than money generated from a white-owned business? Does those greenbacks spin differently? No. Why does government care at all? They should, I, I, one, I do not believe government is in the role of creating economic commerce to begin with. And for those of you who are Republicans that just heard me say that and say, well, government does have a role there. Go read your own platform, please. The Republican Party platform states government does not create economic opportunity, but can only inhibit it. That is a belief we should have as Republicans. So if you're a Republican and you believe government has a place creating economic opportunity, you are not a Republican. You're not. You're not forwarding the platform. You've put an R next to your name and you believe in nothing that the party stands for. Not nothing, but you don't believe in something the party stands for. That's in black and white in our platform. But that's what they're asking for. They're asking for government to do something about their racism. I find that laughable. Laughable. Finally, uh, Jefferson County Public Schools, that's Louisville, uh, has decided to bring back enforced uh, uh, masking force masking because they're in the red zone. They say, if this continues, we will be, as long as they're in red, they'll be masking kids. Nobody else is masking. Nobody else, no other mandates, no state, no city, no, no other entity. But they will mask your kids. The group Lease at Danger from the disease. The danger, the, the group with the least amount of fatalities, the group with the least amount of concerns the group of kids, they're going to be the first ones we put under. And whether or not you think the efficacy of these types of maneuvers, these, these mandates work or not, you got to be asking yourself, why are we doing it to kids first when they're the least at risk? You know, I think science left a long time ago. I think the people that think men are 
men can be suddenly become women and women can suddenly become men and, and can identify as such and believe in circular definitions and have changed the meaning of, of, of a recession. I don't know if you saw that on my Facebook there that I posted uh, yesterday, the other day where the white house is trying to redefine what recession means. Cause we're in one. And so they're trying to change the terms. I don't know if you'd trust those same people with the science on whether or not to mask up the kids, but um, certainly should have some pause. And this is why we fight. This is why we continue to fight. This is why we can't go away. You know, you have the government you have because you tolerate it and you're unwilling to do anything about it. It's time to step up. It's time to do something. You can donate to my campaign at Andrew, the number four, ky.com. Once again, that is Andrew, the number four, ky.com. You can sign up for our text alerts, texting the word Liberty to 33777. Once again, that's Liberty to 33777. Thank you guys for joining me. Please share this podcast with others. Share it out there. Spread the word. I'll keep doing these as long as you guys keep listening. Thank you guys so much. Have a great, great day.